the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. But nothing has reshaped the entirety of the story of mankind, not just our country, mankind and your eternity than what we memorialize this morning in communion. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. On June 6th, in 1844, a man by the name of Sir George Williams founded what he called the Young Men's Christian Association. He established this organization to help develop youth through Bible study, promoting Christianity and subsequent humanitarian work based on Christian principles. His goal was to develop a healthy mind, body, and spirit, as stated in their mission statement. And so they would hold a variety of activities for youth, including sports and athletics and classes to help them learn various life skills. Over the past 175 years, the Young Men's Christian Association has grown to 120 countries with over 64 million people impacted by their classes. And with that growth came more of a focus on the activities than on the Christianity. And today, the YMCA is pretty much known as a gym. The C still stands for Christian, believe it or not, in today's age. And even in their mission statement and on their website, it still says that they are promoting Christian principles. Some of you are probably surprised if you are familiar with the YMCA or ever been a member or used their gym or gone to a class that the C indeed stands for Christian. Because when you walk in there, though in the name is Christian, there's nothing Christian about it. To get so focused on going through the motions rather than the reason for those motions that you lose your depth of worship and your reverence for God is a common problem in Christian organizations, including the church. I can think of few practices within the church that are more prone to such numbing of the heart and mind than the Lord's Supper. We go through the motions. We drink the juice, we eat the bread, we look around, awkward silence, fumble with the flap, and we forget what we're doing, why we're here. Perhaps we've never been taught. Perhaps some of you never knew. You just understood this as something you did at church, just like stand up, sit down, open your Bible, close it, listen, leave. But as we come to communion, not just today, but in our church on a monthly basis, we understand that there's something more to that. There's obviously a reason that we celebrate it. There's a reason that verses are read. There's a reason that at our church, we take some time for you to repent, to get your heart right. There's a reason for it. 
And so perhaps as we've begun this study in 1 Corinthians 11 on communion, there's a nagging voice in your mind that says there's got to be something more to just, well, a few extra minutes at church to drink this juice and eat this little piece of bread. So what's the solution? What's the solution to not lose our depth of worship in communion? What's the solution to regain it? What's the solution to have it in the first place? For many things in the Christian life, but in particular in communion, even as stated by the Lord himself, I believe the solution is easy. It is remember. Remember what it's all about. Remember its roots. Remember why it came to be. Remember what Jesus did. And this morning I invite you to remember to remember what communion is all about. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, if you would turn there with me. We've been looking at this passage. And if you're new to the concept, though people may use those terms for different reasons, for different contexts, for our context this morning, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, communion all refer to the same thing. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For us to have a greater sense of worship, a greater seriousness about what this means, I want to give you this morning six facts to remember to help you worship through communion. The first fact is the Lord's table was instituted by Christ. Let me read for you again verse 23 where I get this point. He says, and this is Paul writing, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. He received something in the past. He has delivered it to the Corinthians and the other churches. An interesting note here is that it is generally agreed that 1 Corinthians, the letter that Paul wrote that we're studying here, was written before any of the Gospels were written, making what we're studying right now the first written account of the Lord's Supper. So how did Paul know about it? Well, this is the early church, and it's a tradition that is passed among Christians since its inception. We're not even talking about multiple generations. Jesus was just alive a few years ago, and so it's there. The people who witnessed it are still there. The Gospels had not been written yet. We know that those disciples that were with him when he instituted the Lord's table are still alive. In fact, it is the re- one of the reasons the Gospels were written later compared to other New Testament books, though they appear first in the New Testament, they were written later, not last, but later, is because it got to the point where the church was growing, people were being martyred, people were getting old, and the eyewitnesses were saying, we need to write this down while we're still alive, while we still can. And by then there were other epistles already written. Now, we do know that Paul had received direct revelation from God. He talks about that in Galatians chapter 1. And when you look at the wording here, it seems to indicate that that is the case from in regards to the Lord's table as well, when he says, I received it from the Lord. So he received it from the Lord, and now he's passing it on or delivering it to the churches. Both those words that he uses there, received and delivered, 
were technical terms in the Jewish culture, in other words, in Paul's mind, so how he would write, that referred to religious instruction or the transmission of important traditions. The emphasis here being the command of Jesus to practice the Lord's table. This is, of course, a familiar concept to us. The passing of knowledge and practice from one person to another or one generation to the next. You receive from somebody, your teachers, your grandmother, your siblings, whoever, and then you pass it on. That's what Paul is saying he is doing from the Lord to him to the churches. And what's important here is that Jesus is the ultimate source of this tradition. Even if he is using hyperbole in a sense and he just received this tradition ultimately from the Lord but directly from other people, we understand that Jesus is the source. He himself instituted the Lord's table. And we know that he's talking about this, specifically the Last Supper, the Passover meal he had with his disciples and where he instituted the Lord's table because we are given a historical clue. Look at the verse. The night in which he was betrayed. We know what night that was. The Last Supper. It is the night that he was betrayed into the hands of the Jews by one of his disciples, Judas. The act of betrayal. Now, although it comes later in the text under this point, I want to stress that this was not just a fun thing to do, a good thing to do, a helpful thing to do, a suggested tradition. This was and is commanded by God. We see this in verse 24. Do this. And we see this in verse 25. Again, do this. It's an imperative in the Greek. It is a command. In other words, if you are a believer, it is a sin not to take the Lord's table. It is a sin to constantly reject it, to constantly not practice the Lord's table. It is a sin for churches to say, we don't practice this for whatever reason. It is commanded by God. There are times, of course, as we will see in the coming weeks, that there are times where it is good for you to let the cup and the bread pass that time. That's not what we're talking about. That's a good thing to do. But if it's a habitual practice, it is sin. We are to do it. It's commanded. The fact to remember here to help us worship through communion is that this is from God. This is from the Lord himself. We have the record of it in three of the Gospels, the synoptics. And 2,000 years later, what a blessing it is to commemorate what Jesus did on the cross, to recite what he recited with that last Passover meal with the disciples. For now, as we'll see, there will be more in the future. And for us to have a fuller understanding of what it is and what it represents. Remember, he said, this is my body, this is my blood. He's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about the new covenant. The disciples had no idea what he was talking about. They had some idea, but they didn't have a full understanding of what was to happen in just a few hours. Peter even rebuked him. Remember this? And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Wow. He had to die. And so we today have a fuller understanding than even those first participants who witnessed the institution of communion. To be able to look back and have the record for us in the Gospels of his betrayal, of his farce of a trial, of his crucifixion, of his resurrection, with historians filling in the blanks of what he would have endured physically, what the area would have looked like. And so we remember. We remember, first of all, that this is from the Lord. And like all commands, they are wonderful. They are good. They build us up. They help us. They draw us closer to Him. And this leads us to our second fact to remember to help you worship through communion. The Lord's table illustrates the sacrifice of Christ. Find this in the end of verse 23 and verse 24. 
I'll read all of 23 again. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, and here it is, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, the bread, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we have this picture of Jesus taking this bread and breaking it. It would have been a thin, flat cake of bread that everyone shared. And he took that bread and he declared to his disciples and to the world and all of us that the bread represented his body. Now there's a misconception among many that he was saying that in subsequent Lord's tables in the practice of communion, that the bread becomes the actual body of Christ somehow. So you are eating somehow the physical body of Christ that has miraculously transformed. And we know that that's just not true because we look at how he instituted it. We know that in the record he is saying this bread represents his body for the simple fact that he was standing right there and holding the bread and saying this is my body rather than doing something else and giving his disciples a physical piece of his body and saying this is my body as they all sit there aghast at what he just did. It does not become the actual body or blood, for that matter, of Jesus Christ. It's represented there. If I was giving an analogy and I wanted to share with you how my son threw something on the floor and I said, so this is the toy he was holding. You know that it's not the actual toy. I'm just saying this represents the toy and and what I'm talking about. It's the same thing there. I, I think you get this. I just want to be very clear because there are people who believe in what's called transubstantiation that upon the priest's blessing the elements, it becomes the body and blood. That doesn't happen. So he took this piece of bread, not a literal, literal piece of his body, the same kind that they had been eating all night, the same kind that was at that very moment being digested in their stomachs. So what is it that this bread represents? What is his body when he says that? We conventionally think, well, yes, it talks about his body being sacrificed on the cross. Hebrews 10.10 says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. But in the Jewish mindset of the day, and the reason I keep bringing that up is because the context is going to tell us what those words meant. Just as if someone received a letter or even watched a YouTube video made in America, but they're in China or they're in France, they would have to say, well, in America they do this for them to understand why there's ice in the cup or getting free refills or something like that. Those of you who've been to Europe understand what I'm saying. And so we go back and we understand that the Jewish mindset would have been what dictated how he used this word. And in that culture... In Paul's writings, the body represented more than just the physical body. This is more than he bled and died and his physical heart stopped beating, which is a big part of it, you understand. But they would understand back then for this to mean the whole person. For Jesus, this would mean the entirety of his incarnate life, his teaching, his ministry, his work, his earthly experiences. Now, we understand all of that is sacrificed when the body dies. Everything that you are ends when you die. We're not talking about legacy here. We're talking about that everything that Jesus came to be and everything that Jesus experienced in those 30-some-odd years, he says, I sacrificed this, all of it, everything I've been through. The agony of being human, the physical pain, the physical hunger, the sleep, the relationships, all of it I sacrifice on the cross. 
In other words, what was sacrificed for us was not just his physical body, but the entirety of his earthly life. He gave it all up. I also want to clarify that the breaking of the bread was not symbolic of Christ's body being broken. A lot of people also misunderstand that, understandably so. It's simply a cultural act of physically tearing and sharing the bread. In fact, in John chapter 19, verse 36, it says that in fulfillment of prophecy, none of Jesus' bones were broken on the cross. This would have been something that would have been done if the person that was crucified on the cross did not die soon enough, then they would break some bones to speed up the process of them suffocating on the cross, being unable to breathe because being unable to push themselves up on the cross to be able to take a breath. But Jesus died before that could happen. This was a fulfillment of the command that the Passover lamb in Egypt, the original Passover, and in the subsequent celebrations of it, none of the lamb's bones were to be broken. Exodus 20, 46 and Numbers 9, 12 specifically state this. It was a foreshadowing of Jesus' blood and death and sacrifice, as we'll talk more about in a minute. Regardless, you understand that the crucifixion was brutally intense, And Christ sacrificed the entirety of his incarnate life for us. And we're talking about facts to remember to help us worship in communion. And if you are already worshiping because of the understanding of his pain and suffering in his sacrifice for us, understand that what he sacrificed was a lot more than we conventionally think about. He gave it all for us. And we know that the sacrifice of Christ was real. When we take communion, we are reminded of this sacrifice. It illustrates the reality of what Christ has done for us. And for most of us, that is really the height, the centrality of communion for us. Sometimes believers will even, even when, they, when they go to communion, they say, well, I'm, I'm kind of distracted. I'm not thinking about this. I'm not taking it seriously. And so they'll try to conjure up in their minds uh, pictures they've seen, perhaps from, from movies or, or pictures of Jesus sacrificing on the cross. But you have to understand that it's more than just an emotional thing for us. It is an intellectual, cognitive understanding of all that he did for us. His bread is my body for you. A third fact to remember to help us worship through communion is that the Lord's table identifies the Christian with Christ. In other words, when you take communion, it's not just remembering that guy over there in the distant past. It's remembering how you are part of all of this. The end of verse 24, it says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then again, in the end of verse 25, in remembrance of me. We are familiar with these words. I and pretty much most pastors in the world will read these words from one of the many places it is in scripture at the taking of the Lord's table. And we take communion again to remember. Jesus instituted communion so that we would remember. But oftentimes, when we do something in memory of someone or something, it is a nod to that person, then the rest of the time is not about that person. It's focused on self. Our fun, our family, our sadness even. This is true, ironically, because of the name of Memorial Day. He says, yes, thankful for the freedom we have in this country. And then it's a big barbecue. It's a big picnic. It's having fun. It's a day off. It's relaxing, sleeping in, catching up on whatever, right? We don't really memorialize that which we are supposed to memorialize, even though it's called Memorial Day. We remember, oh, yes, this is about this. And then you kind of go on and, and that's it. 
And this, if you recall from last week, is precisely what the Corinthians had done. They acknowledged that this was a Christian thing, this was for Christ, but they were focusing on themselves and their pleasures even in the midst of the supper. But the word remembrance that Paul uses twice here does not simply mean in memory of him. Again, in that culture for the Hebrew, the Jew, this was more than just to bring to mind or or recall something. No, this word remembrance has the meaning of memorial, which means to meditate as much as possible on the reality and significance of the event. In communion, when we memorialize, when we remember, we are to relive the life, agony, suffering, and sacrifice of Christ to the best of our abilities in our minds. A good way to think of it is remembering, oh yeah, this is, remember, this is, you know, my buddy who passed away. This would have been his uh, 65th birthday. Like, oh yeah, I miss him. And then you go on with your day. Versus when you actually went to his memorial service. You're thinking about him, you're quiet, you say hi quietly in reverence. You dress up. There's pictures. There's people who share about stories. So you think about him. You remember these things. Not just bring to mind, but remember, oh yeah, he was like that. Oh, I didn't know. Thanks for telling me that story. I didn't know that about him. There's maybe even a slideshow, a video, a goodbye message from the deceased. That's a memorial. That's what communion should be. Not just, oh yeah, thank you, Lord, and then drink, eat, and that's it. We need to think Deeply, we must memorialize what Jesus Christ has done for us in the true sense of a memorial because he died for us but is alive. We are to eat the Lord's Supper in memorial of the salvation that is ours as a result of his death and resurrection. On a personal level, this point is what's going to help most of us worship through communion the most. To think deeply on what Christ has done, but not just that, to think deeply on what Christ has done for you. We've all been to memorial services where we're just a guest. You never knew this coworker of your spouse. You're the spouse. Maybe you have a family member. I never knew my grandpa, but I'm here. So I'm a grandson, granddaughter. But this is for you. You know him, and you know what he did was for you. And this is to do more than just strike an emotional chord for you. It draws into the reality that we identify with Jesus Christ because of his death. You could say that we identify with his death. So what does this look like? Well, some responses to this or some things to pursue to help you in your worship and proper practice of communion would be trust and gratitude. To know how much of your life you go through trusting God because he died for you to be thankful for what he has done for you. As we'll see in a moment, you can also look ahead to eternity to know that because he died for us, because he died for you, you will be in heaven. There is no fear of death. Oh, sin, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I'll tell you where it is. On the cross, which we're memorializing, which ended up being a bad victory anyways because he rose from the dead and he was victorious. How else can you take this remembrance and worship through communion? Understand and realize. And remember, we're talking about thinking deeply. A lot of times we don't do this. We don't think deeply about our lives. Right? We think about the here and now. We think about this coming week, next weekend, the project due in a month. We don't think about the entirety of our lives. But we realize, we must realize, we can realize that the narrative of your entire life 
and frankly the narrative of the entire world and universe, has been reshaped by our identity with this event that is foundational to Christianity and defines the Christian story and has changed the world. It's more than just this. It's a world that has been changed and reshaped. Agree with them or not, you know what people are trying to do when they protest in the streets? They're trying to reshape the narrative of the United States of America. And the reason they're, getting, they're protesting bigger and more violent and getting mad is because they can't reshape it. You can't do it. Get a few bills passed. Maybe this store will do this. Maybe these people will start putting a sign at their door. But nothing has reshaped the entirety of the story of mankind, not just our country, mankind and your eternity than what we memorialize this morning in communion. Man, if that doesn't get you worshiping in that juice and that bread, I don't know what will. So friends, remember, remember. And as you sit there during communion and you take of the elements wrestling with the flap on the cup or your mind wandering to the day's events. I want you to focus in this verse on one of the most powerful phrases in all of the Bible and thus one of the most powerful phrases in all of the world. Look at the verse, the phrases, for you. For you. He did this for you. This is why it is so important for the believer that, as I said earlier, it is sin to forsake it, but also why it is sin for the unbeliever to take it. More on that next week. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live-streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.